freedom. Thought behind this series is the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness. What we're talking about today, the gentleness. Next week is the self-control. We all say, I want that in my life. But how do we experience that? In Galatians chapter number 5, verse 16, we see the phrase, walk by the Spirit. See, it's not in your strength and your ability that you're going to really, truly live a life of gentleness or a life of kindness and goodness and faithfulness or self-control. Every single one of these fruits of the Spirit, as they're referred to, are intertwined together. You can't really have one and say, you know, I, I have the fruit of the Spirit, love, but I'm not showing you any patience. And they all are intertwined together. So therefore, as we grow and to develop in ourselves, in our walking with the Spirit, therefore, these fruits of the Spirit become more evident in our lives. But it's a choice. You notice the title of today's message is Choose gentleness every single week we've been challenging you to choose to make the choice to begin to put into your life the biblical attributes but in galatians chapter number five we have the fruit of the spirit but if and we see the the how we're to do it by to walk by the spirit in verse 16 but if you go to the very beginning of the chapter it begins with who we used to be before jesus christ and he actually uses very strong language. He calls us slaves. We were slaves to our sin, slaves to the old way of living. But he says, don't live that way any longer. Put off the old bond of slavery and then put on or allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you to be the person that God created you to be. That's exactly where I hope that you find yourself. I, I, my prayer is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've committed your life to him, whether you've allowed him to cleanse you of your sin. He's taken your sin and replaced it with his righteousness. And the Bible calls you a Christian or a, a child of God. That's where we want to find ourselves so that we can begin to walk by the spirit, looking and living life differently. Now, today, when we're talking about gentleness, be quite honest with you, I have taken more out of this message than actually I've remained left in because there's so much good stuff to talk about. And so what we're going to do today is actually be very, very narrow. Rather than talking and thinking all about the gentleness and what it looks like in our individual lives, my thought was with such diversity in ages and backgrounds, rather than trying to touch every single one with an in, in instant illustration about your lives, is to give you a biblical principles from the Word of God that you can apply from wherever you are. That's something that's wonderful about the Bible. And what we see with the word gentleness, it's not simply a word that means always being nice. Like when you have a baby, you're supposed to be. Like We, we sometimes accidentally drop our kids. And you did it too if you're children, accidentally, once or five times. But you're supposed to be very soft and gentle. You have great power and strength, but you don't use that power and strength. You are soft and gentle with that infant child. And that's what we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, I have power, I have strength, and I could demand that you just obey. 
But he goes on in verse 7 and says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Though we could have made demands, I have power, I have strength, but I'm going to choose not to exert my power, my authority, and my strength. I'm going to love you and meet you where you are so that you can grow to who you should be. But how do we do that? We cannot do that in our own strength and our own power. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, it says, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You and I are called not to live the old way, as it says, the old way of slavery. Now we're called to live a new way. And the only way that's going to happen is if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. So therefore, my challenge to you today is to choose gentleness to choose to put into your life the attributes of gentleness. And we're going to define that in a few moments' time. Our principle for today is this. The Holy Spirit allows the believer to see God and others correctly. So our goal, remember I'm trying to be very focused and narrow here today. So we're not going to be exhaustive. We're going to be quite narrow. Our goal is to change our perspective. And to see through God's eyes the way that he sees the world. The way I see you instantly and we naturally make assumptions of other people. We think through because we're filtering through our own history and our own mindset. But you know what? What we're called to in the Bible is to see things the way that God sees them. I want to love the way that God loves I want to see others not as a means to my end. I want to see them the way that God sees them, as fearfully and wonderfully made, with created with a purpose and with value. So therefore, the choice to live in gentleness today is a choice to choose to change your perspective and see things the way that God sees them. Let's define that word gentleness. I must say I was genuinely surprised as I began to delve into this word gentleness. The original Greek word, and I'm by no means a Greek scholar, but I can read books. In the Greek, and you break it down, there's two main words used to describe it. The two words to describe gentleness is meekness, which is power under control. You have great strength, you have great power, but you're using it under control. And the second word to describe is the word humility, which is to not think too highly of yourselves. But I found this part especially interesting because I would naturally define the opposite of gentleness would be roughness or gruffness or being hard as opposed to being soft. But what we find in the in scripture with the definition of the word, the opposite of the, of the word that's translated as gentleness is actually the word pride, which is be self-willed as opposed to God willed. That changed my perspective tremendously because what that says is in order to actually show you the meekness and show you the humility that others deserve to show biblical gentleness in my life, I must not exhibit pride. So it's just the opposite. The opposite of pride would be rather than being self-willed is I want to be God willed. So let's look and try to change our perspective. This morning I have one point, 
and then four very brief application points at the end. If you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 37. And let me give you a little bit of background in regards to Psalm 37. And this is the thought behind this. God is always at work in the world. God is always at work in the world. That's the perspective that we must have. Always anticipating and looking to see where God is at work so we can enjoin Him in that work. And He will give us the discernment. He will give us the insight. He will give us the faith to move forward in our lives. Because when we change our perspective, it changes from being short-term and self-focused and circumstantial to being big picture. Because, of course, God sees the beginning from the end. We just see a small sliver that is our lives. Have you ever seen on the, uh, on the computer, you've, you've seen different images of how big Australia is and then how big the earth is and then how big our sun is and then how big all these various stars are. And in comparison, our earth is just a dot compared to these humongous, ginormous stars. And we think somehow in our mindset that the entire universe revolves around me. We need to change our perspective and begin to see things from God's perspective. Psalm 37 is written by a man named David, who's the king. At this time of writing, he's actually an old man looking back on his life. So he's not looking with expectation of hoping God will do what he writes in this psalm. What he's actually writing here is from his personal experience and looking back on these things. And he's writing a psalm in order to encourage his own family and the nation that he's the king of. And in David's own personal life, if you're not familiar with David, David had ups and he had downs. He started off his life as a shepherd, and then he had an incredible encounter with, with God in, in regards to you know, just defeating the giant Goliath. And from that, as an older teenager, as he walks back into his, his town, people are singing songs about him. Imagine, we talk about opportunity for a big-headed, prideful teenager. You have people singing songs about you after you defeat this incredible warrior of Goliath. But then he had high points of his life. He also had low points of his life when he was hiding in caves, hiding for his life when the king Saul and the Israelite army were chasing after him, and he's hiding in a cave for his life. He had high times and he had low times. He had times when he wrote psalms like Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. And he had psalms at other times when he was feeling close to God and sometimes feeling very far from God, like Psalm 51, when he writes and says, God, cast me not away from your presence. When he's desperate and he's crying out because he's been sin in his life. He had ups and he had downs. And now as an older man looking back on his life, he writes a psalm answering one of the universal questions of life which is, why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever asked that question? Like, why does that God bless that person and not me? Well, what we find here is, I'm not going to really address that question today, but what we see here is our perspective must change. So let's begin reading in Psalm 37, verse number 1. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Then in verses 3, 4, and 5, he gives us some commands that we can apply to our life. The command is, trust in the Lord and do good. 
Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. And verses 7 and 8, he summarizes and puts it all into perspective. Because it's all well and good to say, trust in the Lord. It's all well and good to say, delight yourself in the Lord. It's all easy to say, commit yourself to the Lord, because it just rolls off your tongue. How do we live this out? Verses 7 and 8. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Now, being still is, and we've talked about this in the past weeks of this series, being still is not sitting back and doing nothing, just waiting for God to do something, and we're just not going to do anything. Being still and waiting for God is actually anticipation and being ready. Like, like a, a person playing sport, you can be on the court for basketball and just stand there, and technically you're playing the game. There's another way of being there and being ready. So when the ball is passed to you, it doesn't just hit you on the side of the head. You actually catch it, and you're anticipating, and you're ready to receive it. That's what it means there. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So this is an actively choosing to be gentle or being waiting for the Lord. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. In the verses 3, 4, and 5, we see some commands. And we're going to break them down, and then from that, we'll make some application for our lives. First of all, it says, accept God's guidance. Verse number 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. That is, simply, trusting is, I'm looking, I'm anticipating. God, you are doing things in my life around me. I'm trusting in the Lord. Therefore, when I read my Bible, I'm trusting that that is your word and you have something for me. When you arrive at church, you anticipate, God, you have something for me to learn. You have something for me to be a blessing and be an encouragement to somebody else. That's a sense of anticipation because I'm trusting. I mean, there's so many dangerous things we do in our world. We put our trust in some really funny things in our lives. Things that if you actually looked at it, you think, I would never trust that. But we do it all the time. Here we're called and we're commanded to trust in the Lord and do good. So first of all, with a command in order to live a life of gentleness, to live a life that is the power under control, to live a life of humility, and to see things from God's perspective, it begins with trust the Lord. The second is receive what God sends. Receive what God sends. God has something for you in your life. Sometimes you may think it's bad, but God meant it for good. It says in verse number four, it says the word delight. I have no problem delighting myself in the Lord when everything is going well. When everything is going well and it's easy to praise God, that's when you think, absolutely, I can delight myself in the Lord. Because you continue reading, it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Fantastic. And if I was to preach heresy today, I would say, I mean that strongly. If I was to preach heresy today, I would say, according to this is, if we just trust God, we'll never be poor. We'll never get sick. And that's not what we find at all in this life. So therefore, what do we do? Delight yourself in the Lord. It, it means that I'm going to delight myself. I'm going to look for the things that God is at work in the good times and also in the dark times. There's a lady in our church named Maz Webster Ward. She has not been able to attend church for quite a while because of her health. And she wouldn't mind me sharing this 
because she knows that it would be an encouragement to you. But she has cancer. And Maz is a lady whose favorite verse in the Bible is from James, when it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of various kinds. And she's quoted that to me many, many times. Some of you that have received phone calls during this time of isolation, we've had people phoning various people. Maz is one of those people. If you were to pick up the phone and speak to this lady named Maz, you would have heard this. I'll use myself as the example. Hi, Michael. And she sounds so joyful on the phone. It was just enthusiasm. But I know the picture of this woman behind the other end of the line. I know that she has cancer and it's not good. And she's in pain at home right now. But she still finds the ability to delight herself in the Lord. I will never forget, this is about five years ago, visiting with her in the hospital. She had cancer, then she went into remission, and then it came back again, and then and here she is. Medically speaking, she should not be here. The doctors gave her the prognosis that she was not going to live very long five years ago. And then she went into remission, really, by the grace of God. And sitting with her in the hospital, she had an infection at the time, and the doctors had given her a horrible prognosis, and it did not look good at all. I sat there next to her bed, and she was encouraging me, talking of our church and how much of a blessing it has been. And I'm sitting here looking with a woman. I said, have you forgotten that you just got diagnosed with terminal cancer? And the doctor said, you have an infection, and this is not looking good at all. That's not ignoring your problems. What it is, is it's actively seeking to choose to delight yourself in the Lord. Circumstances, does Maz want cancer? I don't think the desire of her heart is cancer. What I think is that she knows that life is far more than the 70 or 80 or 100 years you live here on earth. Life is eternity. And looking in a big picture and seeing things from God's perspective, not just her own. The third is that sets us up for being compliant to the will of God. It says there, commit your way to the Lord. You don't accidentally commit your way to the Lord. You choose to. So therefore you're compliant. When God molds you and directs you, you're ready to move. The great example of that is Job. Job is a man who I really don't want to emulate. He's a man that had everything taken away from him. In one day, he lost all his children. He lost all his wealth, and he was incredibly wealthy. Later on, he had lost the respect of all his friends, and his friends came, and they began to accuse him and said, this is all your fault. And Job sought the Lord and, and internalized and said, I don't see sin in my life. I'm not sure why I'm receiving this. Then even he lost the respect of his own wife when his wife says, just curse God and die. And through the ups and the horrible downs of Job's life, he was consistent and faithful and gentle in his approach. And he said things like in Job 1.21, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Job 13 verse 15 it says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. What we need to do in our lives is not see things through our perspective. In order to live a life of gentleness, that power under control, we need to begin to see things through God's perspective. I don't want to be self-willed. I want to see God's will in my life, even in the difficult times. Last Sunday, I showed a video of our missionary in Vanuatu, Jeremy Panero. 
And just yesterday afternoon, so less than 24 hours ago, I received another video from him. So this is less than 24 hours old by uh, about a pastor named Pastor Abraham and something that's absolutely horrendous that has happened to him. Hey everyone, I'm here with uh, Pastor Abraham. Um, he actually just got released out of prison. Um, he was uh, beaten several times by the police. They have split open. He said, I won't show the video because it actually looks pretty bad. Um, beat him, arrested him, never asked his name, never told him why he was being arrested. Uh, threw him on a truck, they made him eat dirt, they made him eat grass, and they were laughing and slapping him, and he kept telling them he was a pastor, and they've actually arrested the wrong person. There were some boys that were rioting and had a big fight up in the bush, but the cops didn't want to care, didn't, didn't, have, didn't want to know. And uh, so he was actually in prison last night, just got out, just contacted us. Uh, please be in prayer that uh, God would heal him. He was able to uh, witness to two people still in prison uh, in the midst of stitches and pain. And uh, just be in prayer that we can get to the bottom of this, find out who these police were, um, why did they take such action against a pastor, a leader of a community. Um, so I just want to inform you if you guys can just be praying about uh, Pastor Abraham and that God would be able to see justice rendered where justice needs to be rendered in this situation. Something is remarkable about that. Yesterday afternoon, as I was reviewing my message in preparation for today, that video came through, and I was just talking about Job and reviewing that, and then this video comes through, and I see a man who is a man of God, who loves God, who is a pastor of a church, a falsely arrested, beaten, uh, embarrassed in the way that he's treated, and he still, if you remember in the video, it says he witnessed to two people, and he shared his faith. In the grand scheme of eternity, no one wants to be beaten. But who knows the impact that that time in prison and the two men that he shared his faith with, what impact that will make. That's when we look back and we want to see things not from our perspective, but see things from God's perspective so we can accept God's guidance, receive what God sends, and be compliant to God's will. Let's just take a moment and pray for Pastor Abraham. Pray for his healing. But also pray for those two men that they'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior that are in prison today. Lord, I don't know why you allow bad things to happen to people that want to serve you, but you have a plan and you have a purpose. And even in these times of difficulty, you bring about good. And there was an opportunity for Pastor Abraham to share your love, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with two men that may not have ever heard it otherwise. So Lord, thank you for working out those circumstances. I pray for those two men that they will place their trust upon you as Savior and you'll make a tremendous impact, not just in their lives, but through the others that they influence. Also, Lord, physically for Pastor Abraham, Lord, I pray for his healing, that you will heal his wounds on his head and, and raise him up again to be strong and through this time that he will grow in his faith of you and grow in his resilience of the gospel, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray that we as a church will be encouraged by this. And thank you that we have a small part in that ministry in Vanuatu. And in Jesus' name, amen. Four application points. In order to exhibit gentleness in our lives, there's four things we see. There's four R words. First of all, receive God's word. We need gentleness in order to receive God's word, not just initially when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for our salvation, but also every day when you come to church, you need gentleness, the power under control in order to see things from God's perspective and not your own perspective only. To restore, number two, restore fallen Christians. One of the 
things that we absolutely have to do. We cannot look at people and go, well, you messed up one too many times. Like as a parent, how many times have you told your children, you knew better? And granted, as, as a now an adult, I'm grateful that my parents don't bring up all my many, 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 many faults and failures as a child. You remember when? They do occasionally, but they shouldn't. Because as a, as a person with gentleness, what do we find there? It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you notice the word any there. The tough thing is, it doesn't say in a transgression that really doesn't bother you, doesn't really matter. It says any transgression. That's tough. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The great power under great control is needed in order to minister to others, to restore people. Number three is, we need gentleness to reach others with the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible are we given permission to beat people into submission to, to make them believe. Now, you will believe Jesus. We don't find that at all. In fact, we find the, quite the opposite. We come along with gentleness and humility. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, we should be actively going out and sharing the good news that's happened inside of us. When, when Jesus Christ has come into our lives, our sins have been forgiven. That's good news we can share with others. But how do we share that? But yet do it with gentleness and respect. Second Timothy chapter 2, it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Verse 25 says, correcting his opponents. In other words, we're supposed to share the truth. But in what attitude and in what way should we be sharing the truth? With gentleness. That's how we to share it. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a, a knowledge of the truth. And then finally, number four is, we need gentleness to remain unified as a church. That right there is a genuine key to the success of Southwest Baptist Church is our ability to be unified together. We come from many diverse backgrounds and every one of your stories is unique. Your story is not the same as my story, but your, the Jesus that you serve is the same Jesus that I serve. The God that, you, that loves you is the God that loves me. And with that, we, it, causes, it causes us for unity. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The goal for our lives is not to remain the old way. Remember, it says in the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, we're to no longer live as slaves. We're called to now to live a new way. So as you go out this week, my challenge to you is to live a life of gentleness. Choose right now that you're going to live that life. That you are not going to live in the prideful way of seeing things in your own strength and your own power, your own will, the self-will. You're going to go out and to live with meekness, power and strength under control and humility, not thinking too highly of yourself. And imagine how different your life would be, how different your work in your school would be if you can live this out in our daily lives. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? 
Lord, thank you for being active in this world around us. Lord, thank you for having a plan and a purpose for our lives and a way to live that you didn't just create us, you didn't just save us and just to leave us by ourselves, but you created us and saved us so that we can grow and develop in our relationship with you. Lord, as we go out this week, Lord, I pray that we'll right now make the choice to live a life of gentleness, that we'll see things through your perspective, that as you bring opportunities into our hearts and our minds, that we'll see them and we'll take these opportunities and we'll praise you for the difference that it makes. And in Jesus' name, amen.